Outside of the Isle of Dogs, a book is a man's best friend. Inside the Isle of Dogs, you can find bookshops. You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed and I'm here with... I'm Mikey. I'm Ross. I'm producer Al. Uh, and on today's show, we're going to do The Ballad of Halo Jones. Uh, we're going to do the first two books, uh, mostly because Rebellion, uh, that lovely publisher of 2008 AD-related things, uh, have relaunched them. And by the time you listen to the show, it'll be available in a bookshelves. Book 3 might be on its way as well. So the entire series of The Ballad of Halo Jones. But before we do any of that, let's have a jingle. This is Fabrician International. That was a lovely jingle. That was a lovely Lovely jingle. jingle. Yeah. So, shall we get kind of straight into it? Just to explain, The Ballad of Halo Jones is, we've done it before when we were the the bookworm, or way back when. Uh, Before, actually, before we do the book, do the book review stuff let's do a quick bit of house housekeeping this is our last show dum 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 for a little bit so we're so, so we're going away f- yay we're coming back we are coming back we're going away for the summer holidays uh, if you're a regular listener you'll have noticed that we've been a bit unreliable recently because what happens is the summer starts happening and then like, you start getting shows the shows become really reliable and they're like once a week and they're kind of like a Thursday, Friday, maybe a Monday-ish kind of thing, depending on the, the, the magazine schedule. Cause One of those days of the week. Yeah, well, where we've Starburst magazine, and what happens is we're supposed to be out every Friday, but kind of what happens is sometimes other more important stuff, like getting the magazine out. It's Friday somewhere in the world, actually. Yeah, of course, exactly. Okay. Somewhere in the galaxy. It's Friday. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, somewhere. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's, there's a, we tend to kind of be on Fridays, and then what will sort of happen is it hits summer, and as various regular listeners have pointed out, pointed out we suddenly become unreliable again. Uh, and we finally figured this out. Is what happens is it's the summer. None of us become available because we're off to doing cool stuff and essentially sitting in in our garden. So what we're doing instead uh, is we're going to take a break. We'll be back probably late September. Mm-hmm. There will still be shows. We're going to have an Edgelit live live show. So if you're at Edgelit, you get to see it recorded live. If you're not at Edgelit, you just get to listen to it probably a week after it's been recorded, and that sort of a thing. So uh, definitely happening. But we're going to take a, a bit of a break. There's going to be a few more shows, kind of just to keep your interest, so we can keep our hand in that we've already recorded, and then they'll be back to a regular schedule in September. Is the plan? So, so this is the last show, apart from the other shows we've recorded and we'll be giving you as well. This is the last show, this is the last kind of semi-regular show, yeah. and then we're going to become extremely unreliable until September when it'll become reliable again. And we'll probably, come September, we'll call it a new season. We might have new equipment, we might have some of the new jingles and bits and pieces Ooh. as well. Uh, we might have a bit of a polish. But I say that Promises, now, promises. Yeah, it's probably a fib at this point. <laughs> uh, it normally is. So, so a bit of housekeeping, and please keep listening. Please tell all your mates. Please don't vote for us in any competitions because, like, we don't want awards and stuff because we're rubbish. Um, we do what? <laughs> it's reverse psychology. It might work. No, it's not. Yeah. Oh, definitely don't for a vote for us in elections. No, yeah, no, no that'd be bad. That, that'd be yeah. terrible. The Brave New Words Party is not that kind of thing. It does sound like that kind of thing, though. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, it's just. I, 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 
quite like now seeing how I want to kind of form the Brave New Words party but I don't know what it would what it would represent any political party with the word brave in it you should be afraid of to be honest it's... yeah but new oh yeah new I suppose yeah, yeah no no um... words is words okay not really damn it I mean it's a great name for a book podcast yeah. Uh, it's a great name for a column in Starburst magazine he said um, <laughs> but I'm not sure we'd uh, like what what would our political stance be you should read actually that's a good political stance, good political yeah. stance yeah. you people, should read yeah people should we, we're read. in favour of literacy we're in favour of literacy and education and sitting in the garden drinking pims reading books which is yeah. what we're going to do with the yeah summer. definitely do it that way around yeah don't yeah. Eat, read the pims and drink the book there's not nearly enough writing on the side of a pims bottle that's true. Oh, they should do that. We could probably only get one shot for Pimsball. I don't think we'd be able to get two. Oh, they did that with Chipotle. Apparently, that's how you say Chipotle. It's Chipotle. But they did that with Chipotle. They did, like, on the side of the Chipotle box, they got, like, famous authors. So there's, like, in the L. Gaiman short story on the side of a Chipotle uh, fast food thing. You could just read the short story while you're eating it. I don't know what a Chipotle is. For those people li- listening, I'm looking at Ed as if he's mad. You probably get that from looking look at, look at the radio as well, because that's mad, Ed. No, that's true. They, 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 they're like, you can buy like, a Chipotle bucket. I don't know what a Chipotle actually is. Um, it's a type is of sausage, portal? isn't it? it? Maybe it's a kind of portal, like a chip portal. Anyway, but no, they a deep fat fryer. Where did we go past somebody the night where they do a bucket of 50 chicken wings? We did. Yeah. Well, we thought that the, that wouldn't really that satisfy wouldn't. us, yeah, because <laughs> we were quite hungry at the time. Do we have any other quick announcements? Quick. <laughs> 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 have you heard the show? Um, so, so anyway, so that that's that's a bit of housekeeping in general. Um, we're still on Instagram, we're still on Twitter, we're still on Facebook. Uh, we are technically on Tumblr. Um, Tumblr get all of that is updated. Uh, Instagram is updated quite well. Uh, the Facebook and the the, the Instagram's Twitter. updated very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very well. Instagram. Um, we we'll, we'll like the Instagram. We are at some point going to try and have like a single because we are through Starburst magazine. You should listen to, listen to the Starburst magazine shows and do all the Starburst magazine stuff. But we're probably going to have like a little holding page come the come the new show, which puts all social media into one place that then directs you to things, so it can kind of be almost a unified idea. That's what I'm hoping to do once I. He's full of hopes and dreams. Yeah, it's all optimistic. Internet's full of tubes, it's fine. Mostly YouTubes, I find. Which is weird, because that just means it goes around in the kind of curvy waves. The internet is full of YouTubes, then. Like you're doing it. It's going to be like... Hey, we're supposed to be talking about books. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, so... um, (laughs) Ballad of Halo Jones sounds like a song. Well, it's the Ballad of Halo Jones. It's the story about uh, Halo Jones' life. So... um, it came out in 1984 to 1986 in uh, 2008, uh, the comic book. Um, yeah, that sounds makes sense. So, yeah. so the British science fiction anthology comic book, yeah. 2008. Not the year. Yeah, I know. I'm good. Um, yeah. Which was written because of the movie, which was called 2008, because back in the 70s when it was made, um, when that's 1977, which is when all really, really good kind of science fiction British industry stuff. A lot of really, really good stuff came out in 1977. Wow. Like 2008. Mm. And Star Wars movie. Uh, and it's because the mm. Star Wars movie came Star out. Wars. Yeah. So <laughs> Star Wars came out, a whole bunch of other interesting mm. stuff, and they're still around. So 2008, in 1986, turned around to Alan Moore, 1984, Ewan, 
turned on to Alan Moore and went, it's 1984! And Alan Moore was like, cool, I wrote some dystopian fiction about this guy called Winston. It's like, it's been done. Uh, not stopped Alan Moore in the past. Uh, no. But Alan Moore at the time was writing Future Shock, so he was writing these little short stories with cunning twists at the end and having a lot of fun. And he was relatively at the start of his career. He'd done some kind of indie punk stuff, but it was it was early days for Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And... 2080 was still in its kind of the mindset that it was a magazine about future war for boys because boys wanted war because they saw other stuff that were, they saw, saw stuff like Victor and this sort of thing that was very war oriented mm-hmm. and they had decided that boys liked war hence you had things like War Trooper and this sort of thing so they turned on Alan Moore and they went Alan can you can you do us a, a war story and they went I'll do you one better I'll do one about an unemployed woman in the future I don't think that's what they wanted. It's not what they wanted at all. But say. it's what they got. I'm not sure he said that. I'm sure he went yes and then came back with the, uh, the Ballad of Hello Jones. <laughs> Pretty much. And you can't say no to, 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 to Alan Moore. Well, well you, you can try. Can. You can. If you're DC Comics, you definitely can. But um, anyway, moving, moving swiftly. <laughs> um, so, uh, essentially, the, the plot of the, the Ballad of Hello Jones was supposed to be in in multiple books it was supposed to be more than than more than three books it was supposed to run and run and run yeah. but what Alan basically did was what Alan has made his kind of career doing which is he, he finds a company that he likes for a while and then goes no don't like you anymore you're not paying me enough money and then wanders off and does something else mm-hmm. and interestingly round about the end of our, uh, of Halo Jones he starts writing Swamp Thing right. for, for, for DC mm-hmm. so yeah, and you, you know, you, you get to stop writing for, for 2008 to start writing Swamp Thing, which is an established comic book series and doing yeah. really cool, interesting horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. So, um, to lay out the plot, it is the future. It is very definitely the far future. Um, interestingly, book two gives you a summary of book one. Um so Halo is a young woman of an indeterminate age uh, and she lives when we first meet her she lives in a place called The Hoop and The Hoop is where they put their unemployed which is unfortunate because most of the planet Earth is unemployed at this point because of technology but society hasn't really figured out what to do it hasn't really progressed if you see what I mean so it's still essentially hyper conservative and this is written in the 80s where in the United Kingdom there was there was a lot of unemployment and a lot of people genuinely thought that the people in charge of their country were completely mad and didn't know what they were doing and didn't think it could get, ever get any worse spoilers <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah spoilers it was so naive um, so the hoop was crime infested things called um Bumblejacks are the police, but they're, they're not really the police. They're essentially ex-convicts with chips in their brain that, that, that operate as kind of security robots. Can I just uh, say that's going to end up badly as a way to have a justice system? Oh, it does. Yeah. Um, spoilers, it does. Um, and people are just trying to escape the, the hoop, their, their lives. Yes. So the main story of book one is that Hitler goes shopping. They decide to go shopping, and this, this means they have to get tooled up. Because mm-hmm. the concept of shopping is scary. Going outside 
to mm. the, just the main shopping areas and dealing with other people is terrifying. I, I really can't connect with this character already. The, the the plot is essentially they're all pinning their hopes on one particular person in their social group to kind of get them all out of it by her, her musical career. And yeah, no, dreams, hopes and dreams do not live, last long in, in the hoop. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we have Hill, we have Ant, uh, including her friend Toy, who's a tall, tall lady who is quite angry a lot of the time, and so on. The, the plot of book one is, she goes shopping with her friends, horrible things happen to her friends, uh, her hopes and dreams are pretty much shattered uh-huh. uh, as she goes through, and it's it's littered with these kind of little science fiction jokes and these references to to other science fiction works because it's Alamo and Alamo is basically a pirate, and I know people keep running around going, oh, he's so you know he's changed comics, he's so originally so he's a very good remix DJ as well and the thing you've got to remember about a lot of Moore's work mm-hmm. is that even The Watchmen where people are like oh that's amazing it changed comics yeah but it's also a remix of the Charlton comics he took the Charlton comics and built something else out of it um, what he's doing here is he's taking an awful lot of 60s and 70s uh, science fiction Fahrenheit 451 which we talked about in the show before mm-hmm. is an example of a world where everyone's trying you know, they're trying to make everyone go to sleep they're trying to make everyone not think for themselves yeah. and literally in the Ballad of Halo Jones you've got people putting um, music iPods in their brains the different drummers they put uh, music machines cybernetically in their skulls so it just plays a steady rhythm to keep them passive I was going to ask if there was any sort of social media equivalent in this world, and I think you might have just answered that. Well, we also have the character of Swifty Fisco. Hey, I'm Swifty Fisco. Which, interestingly, I think sure regular Dell almost ended up being Swifty Fisco in the stage play. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but we'll get to the stage play version of this in, in, in a moment. The, the, the Swifty Fisco is a character who pops up and goes, Hi, I'm Swifty Fisco, and uh, today in, in, in the hoop, the weather is lovely. It's a closed inside building. Yeah. So there is no weather, but there we go, and we get these kind of running gags. So the first story, without spoiling it for you, because I'm trying not to do spoilers, which is interesting because I'm doing the first two books. Um, <laughs> of a series that's thirty years yeah. old. Of a series that's thirty years old, which is a fair point. Is essentially everything goes wrong between her and her friends, and she decides that she wants to get out. Yes. So she agrees to go and get out. And she's going to go and get out with her friend, and the friend has other plans. But by book two, we meet her, and she's a waitress on the Clara Pandy, which is a space cruiser. Right. And it's a luxury yacht. It's basically a space version of the QE2. There was a logical progression here. Is it, it's a cru- imagine, imagine you've got a cruise liner mm-hmm. in space. The ship yeah. from Fifth Element. Yeah, kind of it's yeah. the ship from Fifth. It's exactly the ship. Well done. Yes, yeah. it's the ship from Fifth Element. They're all like chilling out, and she's 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 a waitress in a space cocktail ball. Yes. Now she still has. She's kept a couple of things from uh, the previous book, including her friend Toby, who is a robot dog, a space robot dog. He's a, well, he is now a space robot dog because right. he's in space. Yeah. In the first book, he's a hoop robot dog. Right. But um, but he's a robot dog, and he's a bit scary. In the stage production that we saw, uh, they did a, the side plays did a stage production. Oddly enough, the first thing I ever reviewed for Starburst magazine was mm. the Ballad of Hale Jones stage production. But anyway, they decided they didn't have a budget for a full animatronic robotic do- dog. So, so what they got was they got a guy with a uh, metal mask. 
right? Like a robot dog mask, and quite cleverly, just said, "Oh, he's had it," because it's in the story that he, that full body upgrades are available for your robot, your ro- robotic pets. So they just say, "Oh, he's had a full body upgrade." There we go. Arms and legs. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to have an animal on stage show unless you can absolutely help it. Or a puppet. Oh, but the thing is, because <laughs> this is a comic radio. <laughs> this, this is a comic book, and the I think <clears throat> everybody knew what I meant. Yeah, I think they did. We didn't need a translation. That's okay. Uh, Dave Gibbons does the artwork throughout, and he's you know he's a regular worker with Alamir, as many of us know. Um, Dave Gibbons draws all the, these characters absolutely beautifully, and Toby is gorgeous. You know, he's this beautifully sleek, mechanical kind of half greyhound, half wolf hunting monster, gleaming metal. You know, it'd be terrifying if he wasn't your friend. Here is one of the problems I have with the works of Alamur in general. Alamur does jeopardy badly. I can't think of a single one of his works where they're... Well, I can't think of many of his works thinking about it, where they are there's a female protagonist and she doesn't get chased by some sort of monster that basically wants to permanently harm them in some way. Mm-hmm. Now you can argue, well that's storytelling for you, Ed. And it's like, no, he's got this recurring trope mm-hmm. where you know, a vulnerable woman is stalked through narrow corridors. Yeah, It's a bit creepy. He does it brilliantly well each time he does it and he does it dif- differently but he keeps returning to this particular story. In, uh, in Swamp Thing, he does a whole abuse survivor thing and it's really kind of really kind of grim to be honest uh, it, again it's brilliantly done but it's a recurring motif in his work yeah I, I don't want to say that it's a thing of the time because um, if you continue to do that then that's a little odd but if you look at the movies that were uh, top milling around then there were a lot of horror movies that had people running away from horrific stuff maybe it's a 1984 to 1986 style thing I think I think to, to an extent it is the, but yeah, again we're, we're kind of talking around bits and pieces but there is a scene where the, the main protagonist character is running away from something horrible and it's through narrow corridor, corridors and at no point does some, someone say get away from her you bitch but you know it's yeah. that sort of the, the vibe thinking about it, there is an incinerator and there is a touch of Terminator to it so yeah. not terribly original Interestingly, there is there is a non-binary character in this called Glyph. So in the future, yeah, you can you go into a machine and it changes your biological sex. It's okay. that easy. You can literally go into a machine, they press a button, and your biological sex is changed. Wow, science fiction. Yeah, yeah. you know. And this particular character, and again, this is written in the eighties. This particular character, they toggle the switch, like they 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 change to one one biological sex. They don't like it. They decide to get it changed again. They don't like it. They try decide to get it changed again, and they keep changing the character's biological sex mm-hmm. until eventually the machine stops working for them, and then either one thing or another. Okay. And it's like, okay, you, you sit there with modern sensibilities yeah. and you're like, yeah, no one would write that character in anymore. No. no one would do that. But the character now has this sort of pointless superpower where they are they are permanently invisible to human perception. So unless they're talking to you directly, you forget they exist. Oh. 
I was not the power I expected to come out of that machine. Yeah, exactly. So so they are they, they call themselves Glyph and they have no personality. Well they have a personality, but they have, you have no memory of them. If you see what I mean. They they stop as soon as they stop talking to you, they're not there anymore. How do they get a response out of you though? Oh no, you can talk to them normally. But you but, forget but if they're not talking anymore you're interrupting them. Yeah, well no, after a while you forget about them. They as soon as oh, you as soon, after, as, soon oh, as, you, while. as soon as you turn away, like minutes pass. And well, then, like the magic homeless people in Neverwhere, really. Yeah, exactly, like the magic homeless people in Neverwhere. Now you could argue, oh, Alamo being really clever, and it's, it's you, you. You could make an argument that it's about, you know, identity and the the toggle of identity. I have a being harsh. I think that Mer just thought it was a cute idea. Mm. So it, it it works as a cute idea, but. Again, there's there's that bit of modern sensibility where you go, really is is this too on point? Um, I I don't think it's meant to make me uncomfortable, but I don't think it's meant to make me think about gender issues. But it does. So well done. Yeah, I'm just thinking at the time. I don't know how tokenism you get about it. We're looking at something. Is it I'm just showing everyone a picture of Toby, the the, the scary robot dog. Yeah. Um, because Scary Robot Dog is scary. But yes, I first read The Ballad of Halo Jones when I was about 11. Um, so pretty much when it... I'm just doing the sums. Yeah, pretty much around about when it came out. Um, maybe a few years after. Uh, it's probably like 11, 12, 13, 14. Oh, dolphins are a thing in this world as well. Dolphins are a thing in our world as well. The dolphins, uh, dolphins, dolphins navigate hyperspace in, in this world. When did Hitchhikers come out, sir? Again, the 80s. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so, that thing I said at the start about Alan Moore, yeah. like, rifling yeah. through our pockets for change. <laughs> <laughs> he does it very well, yeah. though. He does it with an awful lot of change. And he does it well, with a massive beard, yeah. whilst looking slightly like, you know, a man from the streets. So, there's a, there's a Star Trek Next Generation novel that came out about 91 before Deep Space Nine came out before Deep Space Nine started doing the mirror universe thing that Star Trek has since dabbled back in a few times um, which was a next generation say mirror universe one in which features as I recall uh, an alien which looks like a dolphin which you know has uh, a, I think it's a degree in navigation and he's dealing something with the Enterprise engines which is how they end up in a mirror universe rather than actually navigate through hyperspace but I don't know if that's how coincidental that is it's called I think it was Mirror Mirror. No, uh, in a dark mirror or something. Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. But, okay. Yeah. That's all good. I've got um, Sorry, that was. We like tangents, which yeah, actually have books in them. No, I'm, I'm just. How, how do they. Does it fly around the air of the ship? Or yeah, it's got. I think there's an anti grav suit that this dolphin wears as a Star Fleet crew member. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how on earth it touches its combat in order to weeks or anyone. Presumably with its tongue, because that's how dolphins fill you up. Okay, I, 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 it's been a while since I've read the book, so in my limited experience with dolphins in the real world, they basically have two things that are sensitive enough to touch you, and that's their tongue. And if they're a male dolphin, their penis. They're not being they're not being over friendly. They're just like you know, exploring their environment with the tools say, that they, they have. If they're a female dolphin, what's the second thing? But um. The, just their tongue, as I understand it. Okay. They're just saying hello. They're not being mm. um they're, they're not being that forward. Um but yes, we've tangented quite a bit. But didn't Warhammer forty K have at the very early start have Piscean Warriors, which were sharks 
in in suits with robot legs. I might be slightly making it up, but I'm sure they had like fish warriors, or they had one fish warrior model. They were called the Sardine. That's right, Sardine. They were called the Sardine, and they were. I was, remember this one. This is this is before <laughs> I started on Wolf. I think it's all in its head. To be honest. <laughs> this, this is Rogue Trader. So again, nineteen eighty ish. Um, there were some very odd pictures in that book. Yes, indeed, some, some very odd odd pictures. But getting on to getting kind of getting dolphins on. have sort of become out of fashion as characters. Though this is not or I don't remember are dolphins. It's a good point, actually. There was a whole thing where like heavy metal space dolphins, and now we, we have less heavy metal. Like space Mercury or no, Mercury's not heavy metal. Sorry. Um, Mercury's a heavy is metal. It? Is it? No, no. But well, I mean, they they do eat a lot of fish, so maybe they do have a lot of mercury in them. Well, that's that's why you get dolphin friendly tuna. Yeah. And so I only eat dolphin friendly tuna, so that means that the seas are full of dolphins that are full of tuna that don't like dolphins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot, yeah. Little tuna street gangs. They can't, they, can't, they can't snap their fingers though. So how are they a street gang? Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Either they hire someone to do it, like yeah. a street youth. Oh, they can still click for their mouths. Yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the second time this week I've had a conversation about about street gangs with your finger clicks. Very well, that's the first thing you do when you get in a gang. You learn mm. how to dance. That, that's why I got into street gangs. Yeah, so, well, I got into dance first, and then I was I was ah uh, corrupted. Well, no, I was like, I, I was I was picked. Uh, I was there. I was scout there at the dance thing. Said, "Hey, you can dance. Do you want to be in a street gang?" And that went off from there. Yeah. All I can think of the minute is these fish are in school musicals. <laughs> oh, of course they are. Because this is where they learn everything in their school. But low school musical, it's rather high, um, high pitch school musical. <laughs> but anyway, so when I, do we need to apologise to the audience? Where, well, we always yes. far too late for that. You're still they, at this point they knew what they were getting into seriously uh, we can only apologise for the show and thank you for still listening and we're not sure why um, because it's fantastic because we're amazing and you should vote for us in the Hugo Award yes and right. our political party which and our political <laughs> party so one of the things that Moe does very well is the world building with, with the Ballad of Halo Jones mm-hmm. um, one of the lines that people love to, to, to throw out is what did she do everything where did she go out what is the quote about the character? She's just an ordinary girl. She's just an ordinary girl. She's not a superhero. She's not got superpowers. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't pick up a, a pulse rifle and start fighting aliens. She doesn't learn. She doesn't become a kind of Flash Gordon style, Star Lord yeah. style space adventurer. She just works in space, and she just comes from from the equivalent of a futuristic slum a place where the only place to see a garden was to literally go to the suicide gardens yeah you don't leave those that doesn't sound nice yeah, it's a nice relaxing way to go but you're definitely not leaving sort of thing and it's about it's a story about how it influenced me enormously when I was young because it was about a character who is about a young character who wants to go out and see the world mm-hmm. and doesn't let anyone stop her and kind of just finds herself in a situation going from adventure to adventure to adventure doing things. The problem is is that the story the book ends at Book Three. Because Armour leaves two thousand AD. Yes. And Book Three is a war story because two thousand AD wanted their way. <laughs> so so there was a whole bit in it where they where where she she joins the and it becomes a bit Starship Troopers yeah but it's it's Alamo and Alamo can't help themselves so rather than a kind of 
I get a rogue trooper kind of hey whoa they, they, they're running around in these ridiculous in these ridiculous gravity suits mm-hmm. and it takes them two weeks just to fight like to, to run across a thing because the, the gravity and space time mm-hmm. is slowed down that by the time she gets her first deployment six months have passed and the war's over but it also means that she sees someone fall over and the, their valve breaks yeah. and like the person knows for two weeks that they're about to die oh okay which is horrible yeah <laughs> it's absolutely hideous yeah um, and there's little call out callbacks to to the narrative all the way through so it's very well stitched together mm-hmm. so there's a bit where she rescues a rat and that turns out to be a thing in the later story that is maybe not a good the best of plans so I mentioned Swifty Swifty Frisco earlier uh, Swifty Frisco she meets the voice she, she keeps walking past the person going know you from somewhere and it's because they recorded the voice of Swifty Fiscal right so they're the voice of Swifty Fiscal there's a bit where in the first book they keep referring to a thing as a chop party as in big deal as in hey big whoop hey chop party yeah and it turns out that she's on a she's on the club and he's owned by a luxroff shop and a chop party is a big deal yeah it's it's when it's when the guy who owns these these space fleets has a party yeah. those little kind of clever ideas I, I'm always entertained because we, we add the word space to everything and this is like uh, 500 AD or something now or it's it's a few thousand years in the future and they're still using the word space well ish I mean I'm adding the word space to things do they add the word space in there not terribly oh, they, they're, they're not running around you know they're not, they don't take their space fork to, to eat their, their spa- space spaghetti it, it's not like that that's a shame <laughs> I imagine space spaghetti would get messy. It would. You wouldn't eat spaghetti in space unless you you had it like uh, NASA has it in in like fruit tubes and. Just... It's interesting because don't because you still get Russian Russian food supply. Yeah, and they have like little heating trays with Velcro, so you literally take a thing out of a tin and like put it on your heating tray and Velcro it in and then it heats your heats your kind of you cat food style patty stuff mm-hmm. I have to say the Russians do appear to be quite on top of a lot of the sort of minutiae of space a lot of their stuff is slightly better mm. do not tell me about Russian space pencils no I'm not going to good good it's not true because it's not true <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so the food's got velcro in it the food no the food like you mm-hmm. velcro the thing on you attach the food to the in a tin you attach a tin to oh the, the tin's got velcro on it right yeah. Okay. yeah but the Americans are very smug about like the way that they've got stuff sorted out and the Russians are very smug about the way that they've got stuff sorted out yeah because NASA's really working doctrines at the minute and getting into space well they they do supply food mm. to the ISS as oh. do the Russians so there, there is that that is still happening right it's just the yeah okay NASA only does the unmanned bit at the minute but NASA have been NASA are all really proud of like, like their food tubes. Mm. The Russians are really proud of their space tins, and it's like and, and, and like well the, the Americans basically like oh but we have a more efficient way of doing it and they're like but it's nice, <laughs> it tastes a bit nicer, mm. less less like baby poo. Um, oh. oh, space food is very it's like the space ice cream. Well, that yeah. you get, which the, I don't think it's ever gone into space. No, never. Well, a, no, actually, it has, but not as a food stuff. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, it is essentially like a like a, a shredded wheat. So this Ballad of Halo Jones series that oh, ends book, book yes. three. Yeah. Why did they not just get somebody else 
to pick it up and write it. That's an exceptionally good question. Okay. Uh, and, and, and one that I have asked several times, and when I ask in a public forum, incidentally, I'm ed.fortune at Starburst Magazine. It's letters at Starburst Magazine, and my Twitter is ed is at ed underscore fortune. You mean someone's going to actually write and give you the actual answer this time? Oh, there isn't an actual answer because oh. everyone else is wrong. They should just get someone else to write more Halo Jones. Okay. Dave Gibbons has said in the past that he's happy to do it. However, there is a thing with Alan Moore where Alan Moore fans don't want people who aren't Alan Moore to continue his work. Yeah, but if he's not going to write anymore... Well, exactly. I, I don't see why... And if due to the complex way in which... which comic slash graphic, graphic novels work he doesn't actually own the IP to it or only in some sort of specific this, way owns the IP they've they've continued Watchmen since Alan Moore yes yeah. but but to to great wailing and gnashing of teeth yeah but ignoring but that's, those yeah, but that's, that's always ign- the way of geekdom yeah and that's all he does it's not like he's got a hotshot lawyer or anything involved at any point in his career so so ignoring those people I mean they, they've continued Watchmen why can't they continue I don't know we, we'd have to ask Jason Kingsley um but who wants to as an AD? And I suspect that if I was to sit in a like a comic, I was at the 2000 AD 40 years thing, and I didn't stick my hand up and go, "Is there going to be any more Ballad of Halo Jones?" Because I would have been killed, um, probably uh, by the crowd. But I am very for more Halo Jones because it's the story about just a woman. Okay, she's just a girl getting on in getting on in a world that is bigger than she is. And it is a big, nasty, vicious world, and she just finds herself caught up in events. And she's smart, she's capable, but she's no one special, and that's kind of the point. You keep saying this, but I, I'm not quite sure what is like is special about her enough that this is a story. Why, why her? But, why is it? Because the world. Well, how's she protagonizing in this thing? Because the world itself is so interesting. Okay. And every time that she interacts with the world, she changes it because. But then that's true about anyone. But also, we need more stories of women. Hmm. But you, 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 well, it's not like a lot of stuff is done to her, rather than she actually does. I'm, I'm, well, I don't know what. What can you give an example of something she actually does in it? What should What should she decide to do? Um, or dangerous I know. Spoilers. I mean, yeah. well, we might be. I she decides to leave the hoop. That's the that's her big. Okay. Deci- that's yeah. her one big decision. Is she decides to leave the hoop? Right. Um, and she does. It's a kind of a half-ass decision, and she does it in grief. But that story changes her world and her impact, and we see her impact on the world. And some of the things that she does changes the world massively, but she doesn't set out to do any of it. Right. And who does? And that's kind of the point, is that this is a story that has dolphins navigating spaceships. It's got uh, warp hyperdrive, hyperwar space. It's got um, AIs powered by rodents. It's got huge death machine things imagine as it were the Star Wars movie but through the eye of, eye of just some guy who just wants to you know get off his shift, shift on the Death Star I'd watch that movie I'd watch the heck out of that movie um, you could argue Tag and Bink are dead is, is the comic book version of that but I would watch that and it's the, the point the reason that Helen Jones works is because she's just a girl she's just a person there are, there are plenty of examples in literature of just an every man or an every woman who things happened around and they're your, they're your perspective. So, you know, it's not, it's not a hero or, a, or really a protagonist, just a, a point of view on the situation that's going down. Yeah. Okay. She speaks dolphin. It's no big thing. Lots of people speak dolphin. She gets on quite well with the dolphin who navigates the ship. Lots of my friends are dolphins. 
But no, you, I mean, you, you, there are so many examples. You don't have to have a hero to make a good story. No, no, I, I just, okay. To answer producer Al's question, though, yes, I would love to see more. Oh, I'd love to see someone like Kieran Gillen, uh, who would oh, probably step. Oh, he'd be good at it. He would be good at yeah. it. Uh, he wouldn't do it. Uh, I would love to see Al Ewing do it. He'd be good at it. Probably, he probably wouldn't do it. I can think of. I'd love to see Paul Cannell do it. Probably wouldn't do it. I can think of a whole lot of contemporary authors. Cameron Hurley would do it fantastically well. It's unlikely they'll come back to it, and they will be wailing and gnashing their teeth. I would love to see this as a TV series. Uh, I got very excited by the stage play, which only goes for the first two books, by the way. Um. Because they couldn't do the third book because the third book is Space War. <laughs> and they were like, no, we could do puppets. <laughs> but yes, what, is it important? I think it is. Is it Alamo's best work? No, it's not. It really, it's not. It's got narrative problems. It's got storytelling flaws. It's a, it's a bit plastic in places as well. Some of the characters are a bit two-dimensional. Um, I, it's a bit too problematic. It's not his best work. But, but do I keep reading it? Yeah. Do I love it to pieces? Yeah, because it's my first introduction to Alan Moore. Would I, yeah, would I, would that make me get a Netflix subscription or a Hulu subscription or an Amazon subscription or whatever if there was something to turn on and say we're doing the Battle of Halo Johnson? Yes. I, I happily, I was prepared to, to travel a good distance to see the Battle of Halo Johnson. Luckily, I live in Manchester, so I didn't have to travel that far because it happened in Manchester. Because um, a lot, I should impact that. I should unpack that. Manchester's a good, great place for lots of experimental fringe theatre weird art stuff because it used to be London that held all that stuff and now no one can afford to live in London so all those kind of mad creative types live in Manchester and, and work in Ancourts mostly. But yeah. I liked the theatre show and I went into the theatre show knowing like absolutely nothing about this. They did the thing, didn't they, where they had um, they they'd hidden one of the because there's the whole thing about the rat in the story, and they hid a squeaky rat in the um, in the audience. I don't remember that, but I'll, I'll accept that it may have happened. And that they run in. They, we also saw them at um, Sci-Fi Weekend do the same play, and it was really interesting because Sci-Fi Weekend is a big party, mm-hmm. and they they put on this really kind of doesn't as you put it doesn't really go anywhere two hour play. Which is interesting and full of really cool sci-fi concepts, but it doesn't really, you know, it's just an ordinary thing. At what is essentially a massive geek disco, so there are lots of people waiting for the dancing girls to come back on whilst watching the stage production of the Battle of the Pale of Jones, and it didn't really work because it was the wrong audience. Okay, um, but that was their fault, not the not the production's fault. And um, I have no idea if the stage play will ever come back because I don't know who has the rights. Um, the rebellion, try, rebellion who own the rights are trying to make a movie out of anything they can find. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally want to see a stage production of Judge Dredd the musical. Shall I unpack that? Yes, no, please. Oh, no. no, tell me something. <laughs> I'm going to unpack it. Okay, so there's a thing called America. Got you. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Judge Dredd America is about uh, a woman called who's she's called America uh, oh. because her 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 father decides that she wants he will name something inspirational and inspiring uh, and as they're moving to Mega City 1 which is a horrible totalitarian city he's like oh but it's America America's the land of freedom I'll name my daughter, daughter of America Sorry. that's yeah I, that's not going to date well it, 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 it's, <laughs> it hasn't dated well it hasn't dated well 
Um, and she grows up to be this um, beautiful young woman who's staunchly pro-democracy. And the, the world of Mega City 1 is uh, is a fascist dictatorship. It's controlled by the judges. So America... And the, it opens with America die, uh, lies bleeding at the, st- uh, the steps of the Hall of Justice. It's a John Lightner story. Yes. So... But it's opened. We see, we see America. We see her. We see her at the start of the story, telling the story. So it must work out fine. Okay. I've given everyone <laughs> that look for, for those listening at home. <laughs> must work out fine. And she sings. She's a singer, and she sings during the the story itself. So you do that as a musical. You do that as an Avita style musical. And you have as your Che Guevara figure. You have America as your as your narrator. And it's a Shigeru figure. You have George Red, and you have George Red singing. And I think I would watch that. Yeah. And, and you can because you can do violence in musicals. If you've seen Chicago, you can do horror in musicals. You can do all of that. And I know it sounds absolutely ludicrous as a pitch. Everyone's slightly giggling at the idea of it. But can you imagine just? You know, you get the characters. They're about to. They're about to start the rebellion. They're about to bring democracy to this this benighted place, and then the judges turn up, and the music, and the staging, and the way it would work, and the heavy beats mm-hmm. as as the guns go off, and as the lawgivers go off, and as people start dying, and you can do it as a stage production, and it would still be as every bit as powerful as the book is, and it would still be very much judge dread. I bet Carl Urban would definitely still do it. Carl Urban yeah. would almost say, well, if you couldn't get Carl Urban, you could get Hugh Jackman because he can definitely sing. Yeah, but we prefer Carl Urban at this yeah, point. Yeah. But what's Stallone doing nowadays? He was in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the worst piece of miscasting ever, really. It really. But yeah, I don't think the Ballad of Halo Jones would work as a musical. Yeah. Maybe a solo piece with the dolphin, I'm not sure. But I think the is it's it, it is a ballad there's no songs that's a good point yeah. also there's a band called Halo Jones James from the 80s who were named after Halo Jones apparently okay but anyway pop culture reference but yeah no, I know I, I would totally watch that show totally watch that musical Rebellion would never give me the licence but <laughs> oh you know if you were like not if you don't ask that's true if you're listening to this show spoilers they're not <laughs> uh, we would love to know if it would be possible to get a license to do America the musical they did Banana Man the musical and it was great yeah ish I mean <laughs> this plan has no drawbacks it does just have a massive drawback in fact I have no theatre experience I know, I know lots of people no no no, 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 no. You, then you do this production and then you do have theatre experience the problem solves itself yeah, yeah. that's a fair point that's how you get theatre experience I seem to recall the last time I had a conversation like this, I found myself on a field painting people blue. So, so no. Good times. Good times. <laughs> Shall we leave? Well, we should probably find our way out, yeah. We are still stuck in L-Space, and we're about to go on a summer cruise, as I've announced. Yeah. Shall I we... think we should probably find the Pim's Isle. There, there, there's that in there. And then we can find the gardening section and we'll be fine. Yeah. I, I'm thinking maybe we just try and find the library you know, on a cruise liner. Hmm. We, we're not limited to the fictional, well, to, to real cruise liners. We could try and sneak aboard the cruise space line. cruise yeah, liner. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You see, yeah. I'm getting into this adding space to things to make yes. this sound futuristic. It's fantastic. Let's so, go space this way. <laughs> Onwards. 
Bye. Bye.